The first piece of scripture that I want to read to you is Jesus' words from John 14. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. It doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives in you, with you now, and will later be in you more. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. And the second piece of scripture I want to share with you is commonly called the Hall of Faith, and it's from Hebrews 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was made out of what was uh, invisible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life. By faith, Noah, when he was warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, who had embraced the promises. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith... Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith... The walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned for something better for us, so that only together with us, would they be made perfect? These were all commended for their, sorry, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the word of the Lord. So, beloved Imago, today I want to share with you about the journey we're all on. But first I want to say something about the way that I arrange these slides, if they come up. All right. Um, some people, like my daughter, would hate that they are off-center. Um, but I did that on purpose, because as we start this series on deconstruction, I am acknowledging that we can feel off-center when faith or spirituality falls apart. If you come to my house, most of the pictures on my wall are crooked. And one of my kids asked me once why that was, and I responded by saying, because it's a more accurate representation of our lives. Messy, crooked, and full of beauty. So on this first slide, there's a quote by Jeffrey Cohen, and it says, you're not alone. People go through what you've gone through. It's normal, and things can get better. Things will get better with time, effort, and strategy, and we'll get through it together. And if you go to the next slide, Richard Rohr says this, and I apologize, I'm going to read a lot of Richard Rohr today. In many ways, he's my spiritual grandfather. Um, the work of true religion is to help us transition from stage to stage toward ever deeper union with God in all things. And I, will, I wholeheartedly think that Imago is one of those places where it's not about religion for religion's sake, but we want you to know God deeper, and we want you to love him more because that's where true life is found. All right, so let's go back to this idea of journeys. And, and of course, each journey is unique. Of course, we've all had our ups and downs. Sometimes they're way down, sometimes they're way ups. But one of the reasons I chose this crazy long scripture for today is that we're not alone on our journeys. I hope you were able to recognize some of the names in the scripture that I read. And if not, I highly encourage you to become familiar with the Bible, not as an answer book, but as the story of God's people, our people from long ago. Others have gone before us, and Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith, and in me that produces an immense relief. We do not have to make it happen. God does the work. We are simply present to it. And I've said this before when I've been up here, and I'm going to say it every time I'm up here. There is nothing to get in the spiritual life, because in God, it is already ours. So there is hope in this journey. And I will say that one of the things that gave me hope was one of the greatest things to come out of my training as a spiritual director. And it's the idea that while each journey is unique, they can follow a similar trajectory. And because some very smart people have put a lot of time into studying things like that, we have ways to talk about the commonalities of our faith journeys. And the reason this idea was so great to me and so transformative to me is that it let me let go. It let me get let go of trying to control or judge where others were at in their journeys. I could finally say grace and peace and mean it when someone different than me talked about where they were. It gave me the freedom to not be a gatekeeper, and it let me see that the Holy Spirit is the one working, and perhaps he hadn't shown me the same thing he had shown to someone else. So deconstruction isn't new. It's definitely a buzzword on social media. Um, I really only read Twitter. Facebook is kind of a wasteland for me today. And so, um, but there's a lot of people I follow on Twitter and they are all talking about deconstruction and how it's this terrible thing that's infiltrating in the church. And I got to be honest with you, when we talk about the faith journey, including deconstruction, 
There have been ways to describe it since the beginning of the church. Deconstruction is not new. I think the word deconstruction applied to this stage of faith is new, but this actual stage of faith called deconstruction is not new. So today I wanna to share some of the history of those ways of thinking and define in more detail one of the ways of thinking that has been most helpful for me. Um, this series will also be utilizing even another way that I'm not gonna talk about today. It's based on Brian McLaren's book, Faith After Doubt. But for today, let's pray. As we go forward in this series, let's pray that we end the stigmatization of differences in faith. Let's pray to end judgment that belongs to God anyway. And let's pray to become a body of believers or even unbelievers that supports each other no matter where anyone is at on this path of spirituality. And let us pray that the truth that we find, because remember, all truth is God's truth, that it will lead us into a deeper relationship with the divine and those around us, and especially with ourselves. So if you can go to the next slide. Before, uh, I, want to before I talk about this specific method, I want to read from a book that I've been going through very slowly. It's called The Tears That Taught Me by Morgan Richard Oliver. And he says this. That's the thing about removing those rose-colored glasses. You begin to recognize yourself, your environment, and your life as it is and not as you would have it. It's the beauty of wisdom and discernment that can sometimes feel like a curse. If you are in a season that seems to be breaking your heart because it's opening your eyes, please know that the pain serves a greater purpose. For you to grow, thrive, and elevate, you must be able to acknowledge, identify, and understand truth. What you find acceptable will change. How you feel about yourself and other people will change. The environments you want to put yourself in and the conversations you will allow yourself to entertain will change. That is the point. You cannot walk in spiritual blindness or naivety and expect to reach your destination or place of purpose. With those eyes open, open your mind and heart to what is revealed to you and for you. Even when you want to believe ignorance is bliss, Remember that enlightenment is what will undoubtedly make you better. So um, the next slide, this is a very brief list of some of the church fathers. So when we talk about the story of God contained in the Bible, there's also an entire history that we can claim as our own, um, and they start with the church fathers. And I'm going to summarize very briefly, just kind of, honestly kind of by picking some of those names up there. I have a whole article on this if you're interested. Um, if I can find it. Uh, essentially, Philip Sheldrake was the editor of a book called The Westminster Dictionary of Christian Spirituality. And yes, books like that exist. They're entire tomes of church history if you're interested in reading that. These are some of the early church fathers. Um, Irenaeus, about 202 AD, he talked about being, um, there's a developmental understanding of the Christian life. St. Benedict, he wrote the rule of St. Benedict, and that actually has been used for 1,500 years in church. And he talks about 12 degrees of humility when it comes to the spiritual faith. Um, during the Middle Ages, uh, the concept of the spiritual journey developed in the direction of the three ways, purgative, illuminative, and unitive. If you're interested in any of that stuff, I would, I would love to talk to you about it. This is, this is kind of my jam, okay? Uh, Bernard of Clairvaux, he also talks about 12 degrees of humility, but he also says pride, humility and pride. 
John of the Cross, um, if you've ever heard anybody talk about the dark night of the soul, St. John of the Cross talked a lot about that. And he basically said that that's a necessary part of the uh, spiritual journey. If you go later, you got John Bunyan. I was not able to read Pilgrim's Progress, but I listened to it. It was like 12 hours of an audiobook. It was very long. But he describes a spiritual journey through a, an act of fiction, like going through the wicket gate. And then he's in the valley. Like he just goes through all these ways. And these are the proper way that you're supposed to go on the spiritual journey. C.S. Lewis wrote The Great Divorce. A lot of people in here have read him, and he talks about this uh, imaginary trip from hell to heaven. And then even in the second half of the 20th century, there's just a ton of stuff out there, new stuff that has been um, just always written about. A lot of our theology came out of Germany um, in the 1900s, and so there's just a ton of stuff in church history that we can learn from. So if you go to the next slide, there's some things that we need to keep in mind before I go into this particular way of talking. Um, how the end of the journey is envisioned and is how your journey is going to proceed. It, it, it's all together. So if you think that the end goal is heaven or hell, that's going to affect what your journey looks like. If you think the end goal is nihilistic, that's going to affect what your journey looks like. But what we need to remember is that what we're living towards informs how we live. I hope that I am living towards love, and I hope that that is informing how I live. And this particular way of talking about faith that I want to share with you will hopefully help you too as you think about what it looks like to be on your own faith journey. So the method that I want to share with you, and I use method in quotes um, because it's, it's, it's not really a method. It's not like you do this, and then you do that, and then you do the next thing. Okay, It's not like that. But it is all about an ever-increasing awareness of God, yourself, and others. And it's about learning and growing through different stages. So it's from a book called The Critical Journey by Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulick. And I had to read this book as part of my spiritual, journey, uh, spiritual direction training. Um, but when we talk about stages, like if you think about like stages of development, it can kind of start to sound like, well, I'm farther along than you, or I am doing better than you. And so I do not want you to hear that today um, when I say the word stage, okay? But there's, because they use that language in this book, that's the word I have to use. So if you go to the next slide, um, there's just some ways that we can talk about it um, if you don't like the word stage, okay? Even though that's the word I'm gonna use today. Um, because there's no room for superiority in the spiritual journey. Where you are is where you are, and it is good and okay. And I hope that that's what you hear today. Um, but we can, we can use other languages, adding another dimension. I mean, when you have a kid, um, this, this analogy obviously doesn't work for everybody, but um, it's not like your heart, you know, gives some of the space you had to the new kid. It's like you added another room. Your heart just got bigger, okay? So we can talk about that. We can do a fresh lens or perspectives because we all have lenses that we see things through. And so if we choose to put on a different set of lenses, that can help us talk about the stages of faith. And then probably my favorite is a spiral on a slant. This one is hard to describe, but essentially we would probably think of a spiral going up like this. And so the bottom is bad and the top is good. Okay, but if you turn the spiral on the side, we're constantly going up and down and forward at the same time. And so that's how I like we're always going up and down and forward at the same time. So when we talk about stages of faith, this is what I want you to hear, that we're all going up and down and forward at the same time. Okay, so the next slide. This is my favorite way to talk about stages of faith, mostly because it's very detailed. And this is called The Critical Journey. And it, these authors uh, delineate six stages in a person's spiritual journey. And I want, just again, 
when we talked about the Enneagram, one of the caveats talking about the Enneagram is we don't use the Enneagram to label and box other people in. We also do not do that with stages of faith. They are just for information and to help you understand more about where they are, maybe where they've been, and hopefully where they might be going. All right, so we're gonna talk about the six stages here. So the first stage, if you wanna go to the next slide, is called the recognition of God. And this is a quote from the critical journey that they, so the beginning of every chapter of every stage has quotes from people who would be in this particular stage. And the one I picked for this one is, when I saw the earth from out in space, I knew instantly that there was a God and that I needed to serve him. So this stage is all about accepting the fact of the reality of God in your life. Um, you can experience this stage many times, return to it many times, usually through different avenues. Remember, we talked about that fresh lens. Sometimes when you get a fresh lens, you get a new understanding. And so maybe you started by seeing God in nature. That's most definitely where I started seeing God. And then maybe later in life, you encounter God through psychology. I've definitely seen God there too. So these new recognitions of God um, is called the stage Oh, sorry, the, the stage one. So this is kind of like you're in awe, you understand there's a need that you have, God is answering that need. Maybe you're feeling very innocent because you just don't have a lot of answers. Um, you're not really selective at this point of where you're getting your information, but you're super curious and you're very hungry for other people to kind of come into your, I just found this out, did you know this? And, and there's this longing for more. And I will say, um, that some people don't leave this stage. And that's gonna happen with every stage that I talk about. You can get caged, is what the authors call it. You can get caged at any stage. So for moving from stage to stage, there has to be some kind of catalyst for movement. And, and I'm hoping that as I talk, you can maybe recognize in your own life what your catalyst for movement was. And I'll share some of mine later. Um, so Richard Rohr says, we come to know God through exchanges of mutual knowing and loving. God's basic method of communicating God's self is not the saved individual. Remember, I first learned about God through nature. Somebody didn't proselyze to me to tell me that God existed. Um, he communicates primarily through the journey and bonding process that God initiates in community, in marriages, friendships, families, tribes, nations, schools, organizations, and churches who are seeking to participate in God's love, maybe without even consciously knowing it. So this is just, this is where we all start. All start here. And it, it can be a little magical at some level, like kind of a pie in the sky, oh, there's a guy up there, or however you wanna view that, if, you know, as my child self, I knew that there was something, and, and, but I didn't know a whole lot about it. But it's a, it can be a little naive if you stay there too long, because obviously reality is infinitely more complex than just a guy in the sky, okay? So once we come to recognize that maybe there's more to this, this can be a catalyst to move us forward into the next stage. And um, I will say that when you get caged at a stage, when you're not moving forward, if you're there for a really long time, you can kind of get crusty. So um, one of the reasons I think it's important to talk about stages of faith is so that you know there's something in front of you that somebody has been through before to give you hope that you can get out of maybe the crustiness that you're feeling, okay? All right. I will say though, that moving out of any stage into another one is incredibly uncomfortable and confusing, which is why we need community and we need trajectories to help us know what may be coming next. Like I'm feeling this and I don't know what's happening. There is something to come after, okay? We're all safe in the arms of God. We're all safe because Jesus is the one doing it. We're all safe because the Holy Spirit is here with us. 
and he's not gonna let us fall, even if it feels like it. I'm here to tell you, you are not falling into anything except love. All right, so the second stage is called the life of discipleship. And the quote that I chose for this particular stage is this. I am new in the faith. I need to know where to go to find the right answer for my many questions. There are so many different viewpoints that I am somewhat confused. How can I know what's really right? Okay, so in this stage, uh, now you belong to a group. And this is where you're getting your meaning. And your leader is telling you what's right or wrong. Um, your cause. So like, you don't even have to be part of a religion, I hope, to understand that stages of faith exist. You can. Everybody has a spirituality. Not everybody has a religion. I hope that we have some understanding of that. If not, that's a message for another time. But um, you know, your cause is telling you what's right, your belief system, the structure. This is, this is what we do. Here are the answers, okay? And that's kind of what uh, stage two is all about, learning and belonging. Um, it's kind of like, I found it. Uh, it can become we versus they. Um, I, I will say at this stage, uh, a lot of people stay here because it feels really good to be right. All right, moving from stage two to three, we have to get, we have to be really like encouraged to get out of stage two and move to stage three because like I said, stage two can feel very comfortable. And I will say that a lot of people don't and that's not a judgment, that's just a fact, okay? And it doesn't mean that they're terrible people. It doesn't mean that they're horrible humans. It just means that they are very comfortable where they are and they haven't had some kind of catalyst to propel them forward. And I will always say that yelling in someone's face is not a very good catalyst. <laughs> Loving them into a new place will always work better. So going from stage two to three, this is, um, this, is, this is a big one. And so this is the transition from knowing the right answers to doing the right answers. And so uh, it's called the productive life. And the reason it's called the productive life is because now I know what to do with my faith. I know how to get other people to join me. I have soaked in the right answers long enough. I am on fire for God. How many of you are ex-evangelical and you probably use that in your phrase in your life, I was on fire for God. Okay, this is the stage. You are so interested in getting other people in the boat with you. It's about service, motivation. The symbols mean a lot. And it's, I'm not just talking symbols like Bible reading and I did my spiritual disciplines for the day. I'm saying symbols of like, titles, influence in your particular community become very important in this stage because it's kind of like, look at me and all the things that I'm doing for God. Also another very comfortable stage, but it can get weary to be perfect all the time, to be the person that everybody asks for this specific thing because they know you have the answer. And honestly, sometimes if you're at this stage, it just, you get, you get tired. And that's when you can start to feel a little bit crusty. And it, honestly, if, if, if you're caged at this stage, it's a little bit self-centered. So you can get that weary feeling, or you can get like the I feed off of this feeling. Of like, I feed off of being needed. All right. So um, the, the quote from this stage that I want to share with you is, I know what my faith is all about and how great it is for me. I have a strong sense of responsibility to lead others on the same path to fullness in God that I feel. I want so much to share my joy. 
And that can be a really good thing. This is where evangelism happened. There, I mean, this is like the big Carmen concerts, you know, I'm really dating myself there. But this is where this happens, okay? Because we're, like I said, we're on fire for God. All right, and it just is so nourishing because it's so personally rewarding. Like, I did what God wanted me to today. I feel good. And I will say that stages two and three is where the church has historically flourished. However, Richard Rohr says this. The trouble with much of civic religion and cultural Christianity is the lack of religious experience. People who haven't had a loving or intimate experience with God, so we're not talking a Carmen concert here, tend to get extremely rigid, dogmatic, and controlling about religion. They think that if they pray the right words, read the Bible daily, and go to church often enough, it will happen. And those things aren't bad, okay? He's not saying that. But God loves us before we do the rituals. God doesn't need them, but we need them to tenderly express our childlike devotion and desire and to get in touch with that desire, which I have to be honest with you is what Formation Community is all about, so you should talk to me about that. Um, Rohr goes on to say, the great commandment is not thou shalt be right. The great commandment is to be in love. So we really have a hard time getting booted out of stage three, and I will say it is getting booted out because it is usually precipitated by a crisis. The only way we really move from stage three, something's gotta happen. Now, I can't say it's always suffering because I would never say that God requires suffering to move along people in the path of love to him. But we're humans, and we live in a world that's full of suffering, and so usually something breaks. Um, we feel confident hard to let go. We have to let go of that influence that maybe we've garnered in our community. If you, I, I kind of envisioned it as like, um, I started bleeding and I asked somebody for a Band-Aid and they're just like, well, we don't bleed here. <laughs> and it's like, well, now what do I do? And this is where deconstruction starts. The church doesn't have any more Band-Aids for you because you weren't supposed to have them anyway. All right, so stage four is called the journey inward. And I'm gonna spend a lot of time here uh, because Imago has historically, and if I had to guess currently, we've been a home to a lot of people in this stage of their journey. And that makes my heart so full, Imago, that we are safe. I can't say we've done it perfectly. I would never say that. But I hope that we are trying to create a soft space for people. So this, uh, this is the quote that I picked from the book for this. I have this old saying that fits right now. Just when I got it all together, I forgot where I put it. <laughs> this is how I feel about my spiritual life. So like I said, this is where it all starts to fall apart and the answers don't work anymore. This is deconstruction. This book was written in the 90s, I think, 2000s. So even though people are really buzzing about deconstruction today, this is describing it 30 years ago. So I will say, before I talk about this anymore, you can get through this. Though I will say a lot of people don't. Once again, it's not a judgment, it's just a fact. A lot of people, if they come up to stage four and they recognize I'm bleeding and the church isn't offering me a Band-Aid, they're gonna put their hand behind the back and say I'm fine. And they're gonna go back to stages two and three. And that's not bad. God just hasn't called them out in bravery to that yet. And we can give them space for that. And that is good and right. 
All right, and I will say the reason that I put that in there is I've actually seen this happen more than once, and so I don't want you to be disillusioned that the church even has answers, all the answers for deconstruction, because I've seen this happen to lots of people. And it's usually because institutions cannot handle questions. Communities can handle questions. Institutions cannot, because if you acknowledge that there are questions, then you acknowledge that something may not have been right and institutions do not like to see their structure fall. All right, the people who do get through this, these are the people who um, seek out other stuff outside of the church, which is what I did. Um, they seek out spiritual direction. I became a spiritual director, and, and going through that is what really did it for me. They meet with the pastor more often. That, that's good or bad, it just depends, I guess, on where you're at. Um, all right, but so let's talk a little bit about stage four. So this is a life crisis or a faith crisis. I had a friend, their crisis was their child broke their bone and they realized as they were praying, God is actually not gonna fix my child's bone. And they never had that thought before. Um, this is where we really start looking for direction instead of answers, because we had the answers. Remember how great the answers were in stage two and three? those answers are not working anymore. And maybe now you're a little skeptical of answers and instead you'd rather have a trajectory. So we're looking for direction. And instead of looking at the integrity of like keeping the church up built, we're looking at how do I keep myself from falling apart? God is definitely released from the box in this stage. And to a lot of people, it will look like you are losing your faith. Let them talk. I know your soul is fine. It's a quote from Sarah Bessie's mother. I think it's beautiful. Let them talk. Your soul is fine. All right. Now, I have lost my page. I apologize. There we go. All right. So this, in my opinion, is where the historical church has started to fail. When I talk about people looking for... Uh, stuff outside of the institution, um, they have to do that very seriously for something to happen. And this is where you usually will get your scars because those people will talk and they'll try to tell you that your soul is not fine. And that leaves a mark on people. And we can ask forgiveness from God the times, for all the times that we have left marks on people. We can ask forgiveness for that because we haven't done it perfect. And we can forgive those who have left marks on us because they didn't believe us either. But you have to be very seriously, sorry, take very seriously what you have been taught in stages two and three. And when I say take very seriously what you were taught, because you'd be like, well, those right answers are what made you maybe start to doubt. This is where I'm talking about moving from a theoretical faith to a very practical faith. If God is really love, what does that actually mean? Taking the Bible seriously, like caring for the poor, this can lead to social justice. This is another buzzword that people do not like. But we're taking what God said very seriously. And so we start to be maybe the person who eats with sinners like Jesus did. And people are going to question, what has happened to you? What happens is that in this stage is we come to the realization that you are totally accepted by God with no caveats. 
The church can no longer place caveats on your acceptance. Do this and you are in, do this and you are out. That is not a thing anymore in this stage because you recognize that I'm totally in because God said so. And honestly, churches are just not designed to help people with this en masse, okay? Um, because like I said, some, we have to pay the light bill and we have to, you know, have childcare and things like that, okay? So there are, the church's uh, attention can be divided sometimes. And so um, we actually tried to recognize this early on at Imago, um, and we've tried to create places for people in this stage, or those with trauma, church trauma, church baggage. I talk to people in spiritual direction, everybody has church trauma and church baggage. And we've tried to make places for those people in those stages here at Imago um, so that they can process, so they can heal, so they can be accepted. And I'm gonna talk about some of those places later because I think they're important. But I want you to remember that at stages two and three, it's all or nothing, it's about certainty. But Richard Rohr says we also need to remember we can't see in total darkness. We also can't see in total light. So if your church is saying this is 100% the way it is, can you actually see in that much light? I don't know. I don't think so. Anyway. This is uh, where it gets a little scary for us, and this is what Richard Rohr says. Again, I'm sorry. If we can trust and listen to our inner divine image, so this isn't about listening to your authority figure in your church. Sorry, I like that. If we can trust and listen to our divine inner image, our whole-making instinct to our true self, we will act from our best, largest, kindest, and most inclusive self. There is a deeper voice of God which we must learn to hear and obey. It will sound like the voice of risk, of trust, of surrender, of soul, of common sense, of destiny, of love, of an intimate stranger, of your deepest self. It will always feel gratuitous, and this very freedom scares us. God never leads by guilt or shame. God leads by loving the soul at ever deeper levels, not by shaming at superficial levels. And I will say that, like I said, this is scary. Answers are not the way anymore. Now it's about direction and discernment, which are more organic and not as easily controlled by an institution. Yikes, that's a hard thing for a church structure to hear, I think. Do we trust the people in our church to trust the Holy Spirit? Do we trust the Holy Spirit to lead us out of deconstruction? Gosh, I hope so. It does make me sad that historical church has operated in ways contrary to God's nature, especially when it comes to controlling and being gatekeepers. And we are trying to do better at Imago, though we have faltered many times, like I said. We try to be generous with our orthodoxy. We try to be kind. We try to be gentle in our common spaces and we try to honor and give space for the harm done in the name of God. All right, so there is another step here. It's not different, it's not a stage, but it's definitely part of stage four. And so the next slide here talks about the wall. And this is mysterious, okay? It's not necessarily a stage like I said. It's, it's, it's the part of the deconstruction process where we're drawn to surrender, and everyone has a different experience here. 
but usually the feelings are the same. Um, it's very uncomfortable. It can be very healing to let go of some of that trauma. And I don't mean forget. I don't want any of you to think that we just gloss over any of the hard parts. We don't. We can learn to forgive. We can learn to accept maybe ourselves, accept God in a new way. We may feel close to God. We might feel like we're melting. Um, and really, a lot of the wall happens in solitude and reflection. And like I said, it's so hard to describe. And I don't want you to think that it's the same for everybody. But it's important to recognize what your wall was. So the quote for this one is, not everyone goes through the wall. Some stop or stuck at, get stuck at earlier stages and never get to the wall. Others decide at the wall to return to an earlier stage. Still others get stuck in front of the wall, not wanting to submit to God. It's painful. It's hard because you're going to have to let go of some of the ego. We've been putting on containers since we could first differentiate ourselves from our mother. We've been building containers so that we can function in this life. This is where all those containers have to be stripped away and find out what's underneath. This is the shedding of the false self. All right, so I want to just share a few quotes about how we get through the wall. Richard Rohr says, Can I join God in knowing who God knows me to be? Can I join God in seeing who God sees me to be? This is salvation. Thomas Merton says, we discover our true identity in God when we no longer pretend to be anything other than who we are. And Rabbi Zusia, um, he says this, in the world to come, I shall not be asked, why were you not Moses? I shall be asked, why were you not Zusia? So no one's going to ask, God's not going to ask you, why didn't you act more like this person? He's going to be like, why didn't you act more like yourself? And finally, a Hasidic saying that I really like. Focus on yourself as a wave, and you're going to get frantic and worried. But if you focus on yourself as the ocean, you're going to find tranquility and peace of mind. So this idea of melting and molding. Lago, can we melt into the ocean of divine love? Can we see that we're already part of it and have some peace that comes with that? So how do we get out of this stage? Stage four, that journey inward, deconstruction, super messy, very individual, and it's so necessary to move forward in the spiritual faith. War has some insight for us again about moving from stage four to stage five. He says, faith as we see in the Hebrew scriptures and Jesus' usage of those scriptures is much closer to our words trust or confidence than it is about believing doctrines to be true. Simply believing doctrines demands almost no ego surrender or real change of the small self. Holding confidence that God is good, God can be trusted, and God is actively involved in my life is a much more powerful and effective practice. This is the practical power of biblical faith. Faith-filled people are, quite simply, usable for larger purposes because they live in and listen to a much larger self. So, Imago, as we go forward, there's only a couple stages left, but can we start to use words in our vocabulary like trust and confident? Can we see how much more generous and nuanced those words are? All right, so the next stage, 
So we get through deconstruction. And I will say you can be in many stages at once. You can be deconstructing your faith and also working on the journey outward. So the quote for the journey outward, I know myself, I accept myself, I forgive myself, and I love myself because God does. We've come to some kind of awareness of who we are in God. Uh, Dustin Haidt, who used to be a pastor here, he says this, when we surrender out of fear to duty, we're concerned about the outcomes or implications of what we're doing. But as we surrender to love, we are more relaxed, trusting, and not as concerned about control. So in this stage, we kind of have this renewed sense of God's acceptance. Um, this, we could get a new calling or, or, or ministry. Like, so remember stage three is like, we're doing things for God. This is like, we can still do those things, but now our motivations are different. We're doing that because we have this greater sense of purpose and love. And we're really worried about other people. We want them to be whole. And that all comes from a place of deep calm and stillness that we've cultivated inside of ourselves. And I will say that you can, like I said, you can go in and out of the stage all the time. Do I feel calm and peaceful all the time? Absolutely not. I have three teenagers at home. That's impossible. But there is a place inside that I can touch that has been cultivated by my time with God that is true, and it is right, and it is real. I will say that Imago has historically had a lot of places to connect with those outside of our community. We've been focused on that since the beginning. Um, the black bags, we haven't done that in a long time, but we used to uh, make sure that we were including food pantries all year instead of just like the big pushes at Thanksgiving or Christmas. We go to Honduras Breakfast Club, which is getting revamped, um, Surround, Family Corps, all of those ways. And we continue to look for ways to help you expand your journey outward while also continuing to search for ways for you to cultivate the deep calm and stillness that you have found in this stage of the journey. So the last stage is called uh, the life of love. And the quote from, is for this, God is love and that's all that matters. And this is where I wanna be. I wish that's all that mattered to me. So it's about holy indifference here, holy indifference. So Christ-like living and total obedience to God, wisdom from life's struggles, we're living compassionately for others, and we're detached from things and stress. It kind of looks like we gave up, but we didn't. We just go to the grocery store, and we live our life. Dorothy Day says this, love and evermore love is the only solution to every problem that comes up. If we love each other enough, we will bear each other's faults and burdens. If we love enough, we are going to light that fire in the hearts of others. And it is love that will burn out the sins and hatreds that sadden us. It is love that will make us want to do great things for each other. No sacrifice and no suffering will then seem too much. So those are the stages of faith that I like. I think that there's a lot that you can go into there. And if you're interested in that book, I would love to talk to you about it. And like I said, there's lots of other ones. As we think about these stages, please remember, you can revisit these stages at any time. They're not linear. Remember, we talked about a spiral in the sand. We go up and down, but we're always going forward. They're not always standalones. You can be in transition between two for a while. You could be in three stages at once, and it could change daily. And Imago, that's okay. Do not let anyone tell you you should. We do not should on each other here. So there could be a stage that feels like a good comfy fit for you right now. 
that's fine. What matters is that you keep growing into the awareness of who you really are in God. And I will tell you, each of you is pure light, the image of God made manifest for others to see. So why does this all matter? I think it matters because it's true. It matters because we're not alone. Others have gone before us. When it is all falling apart, when you feel only pain of deconstruction and nothing is ready to take its place, there's hope. It is so important to know where you were. It is important to know where you are. And it is important to know where you are going. Studying things like this can help us and they can help us have confidence and trust. Remember we talked about those words, confidence and trust, when we talk about faith, that God is not going to leave us as orphans, just like Jesus said. And we have confidence because we have the stories of those who have gone before us to help us light the path that we're on now. So I will say that there are some places at Imago if you want to discuss this stuff more. Um, Eat, Strengths, and Orthodoxy is happening this weekend. It's my fault that it's not in the notes. Um, so not this weekend, this Wednesday at 6 o'clock at Pizza Works. If you guys want to have a conversation about the stages of faith, East Strings and Orthodoxy was created to help people explore what they believe and why. So that's at 6 at Pizza Works. If you just want to come from the discussion, that starts at 7, but uh, Gary Bessler, the owner of Pizza Works, is just a really nice guy, and we like to hang out there. We also have uh, Sunday school or the adult classes, whatever you want to call them. Today it's a Mago story, but throughout the year we'll be offering different places to discuss uh, where you're at in your journey. The deconstruction retreat is this weekend. I am told that it's supposed to be conversation-based. So if you have things or questions, you wanna talk about your faith, come to that this weekend. And then if you want a spiritual director, I know most of the spiritual directors in the Peoria area. I can't say I know all of them, but I know a lot of them. And if you want one, I will help you find one. If you don't wanna to talk to me about that, there is a website, sdiworld.org. You can find one. You can search by area and even like, uh, Search by, I am dealing with this particular issue, and spiritual directors will pop up, okay? There, there are resources for you, Imago. You do not have to go through deconstruction alone. So the last thing I want to share with you, um, I turned 40 a few years ago, but those who follow Islam or Buddhism also love God. They'll buy a different name. And this is very Chronicles of Narnia. So if you ever read Chronicles of Narnia, I really encourage you because C.S. Lewis explores this idea in depth through the children's story of uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. But I think this quote also describes on some level spiritual maturity. And, and that's a really crappy word. I recognize that because it, is, it assumes that you possess something that others do not. But we could maybe talk about, I'm spiritually ripened. I have spiritual experience. I am spiritually seasoned, and my, one of my favorites, I'm spiritually weathered. I have withstood some things. But I should be able to give space for others on their journeys, knowing that I was once where they are. Just because I don't practice my faith the way others practice their faith, because those days don't work for me, I need to remember that's true for me. My favorite example is some people really like to pray laying down. I fall asleep. It doesn't work for me. So we all have ways that work for us and ways that don't work for us, and that's okay. There are seven billion people on this planet, and each one of them bears the image of God. God must be beautiful and so multifaceted. It is impossible for me to see all of someone's motivations or interior passions. Their passion may move them along in their journey, and they may yet see God in a new way, or maybe they'll even show me a new way to see God. I also think that my God, the one I have come to know in some small way, is big enough for other perspectives of him. It might sound crazy, 
But a pacifist in a justified violence position might be right at the same time. And I think that that's true of God. He can hold what we perceive to be contradiction. He can hold our imperfect stances and our unloving ideas, even when we specifically think they represent love. The goal is not to have it all right, but to continue forward on our journey with God. They will lead us into all truth if we stay present, sometimes even if we don't. God is good, and she wants us all in relationship with her. It all matters, and one day we won't see so darkly. The veil will be lifted. It is not my job to lift someone else's dark veil. I cannot lead them into truth the way God can. It is my job to bear witness to the story I am now in and how it intersects with theirs. As I am true to the experiences God has given me, I can encourage others to be true to where God has led them. And I can encourage them to know deeply what they have experienced in the hope that it draws them closer to God. Beloved Imago, you are loved with an everlasting love. Even if you can't hold that right now, I will hold it for you. The people in this community will hold it for you. So I encourage you in this series, deconstruction is scary and it's hard and it's confusing, but I encourage you to breathe deep and to lean hard. And I encourage you to find that God's love will hold. Amen.